Hi, I'm Rebecca Pete, And I'm Rebecca Cochran. And, and welcome, welcome to Woven, where we strive to be Christians living in the world with intention. And our prayer is that, to paraphrase Mary Zimmer, the Christ who knew Mary and Martha would show us the way of balance. Thanks, Thanks for listening. Hey guys, before we get into this week's interview, we wanted to give you a little update about what's going on behind the scenes at Woven. So as you know, if, as you may have heard, we're in a pandemic and things are weird. So we've been kind of reevaluating some of the episodes we put out and some of the content we're creating. And if you didn't know, we have a whole other little thing going on at Patreon, which we'll talk about what Patreon is in a second. But we have an online community there as well with people um, where we get to be a little bit more um, unfiltered, I guess you could say. And we decided going forward that because churches aren't really meeting as much in person and a lot of us are missing that like Bible, I mean, we're still doing church online, but like maybe if you were in a small group or a Bible study, you may not be meeting now or it might be on Zoom or whatever. So we're going to bring that to you over on Patreon. So um, for $5 a month, we are going to do much like the small group schedule of every couple weeks um, at churches. We're going to get together and we're going to talk about the Old Testament. Because I don't know if you've heard, but the Old Testament has a lot of stuff in there about, you know, what are we feeling? Exile, isolation, uncertainty, uncertainty, (laughs) all things that I could definitely, um, I am an enthusiast about the Old Testament, but I am not a scholar, but luckily Rebecca Pete is. So she is going to lead us on discussions of all of these things. I'm going to ask all the dumb questions so you don't have to, and we're just going to learn together. So if that sounds like something that you would look forward to and that you would um, enjoy listening to, please check it out. We'll have the link in the show notes. And um, if you don't know what Patreon is, it's sort of a pledge system, much like PBS, where you pledge a monthly donation and we're asking $5 a month and that will get you the two bonus episodes. So I think that's well worth it if it, you know, gives you some time in the word, some time knowing that other people are listening to the same thing with you and that you're learning together and hopefully a little comic relief and a little, um, lightness brought into that as well. So what else, Rebecca? I mean, it's super easy. I think people don't realize you just click on the Patreon link in our show notes and you can like do it through PayPal. You don't even have to go find your credit card. It's real easy to, to sign up and get, it's get true. going. So we ask yeah. if you, um, if you, if you like Woven, if you feel like it is a resource to you, we ask that you would prayerfully consider donating. And now, on to the show. Hey guys, welcome back. Um, we have a very special guest who, this might sound like a broken record at this point, because it has been <laughs> 75th appearance on our podcast. Um, that sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, or, or like 10th or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but she just continues to be a wealth of wisdom. So we're going to just keep asking you on. Um, Dr. Angela Schaffner is here and she's actually here for two weeks. So she's here on today's episode talking about leadership in small groups. And then next week, she's going to come on and kind of go over things that we have heard and observed that a lot of people are struggling with as far as body image and the pandemic, things like um, just how our self-care has changed and kind of how we can look at that from a grace-filled way. If you're struggling, if you've like put on, you know, everybody's been saying like the quarantine 15, or if your, you know, exercise has been interrupted or whatever it is, we hope to bring you some um, positivity in that conversation next week. But for this week, we are talking about leadership in small groups. 
So Angela, in case anybody has not listened to the 75 episodes you have been on, could you (laughs) briefly introduce yourself and then we'll get into it. I will. I'm Angela Schaffner and I'm a psychologist um, and an author of two books now. One is uh, Revealed, What the Bible Can Teach You About Yourself. And the other one is called Gather Us In. That's the new one I'm talking about today um, on leading transformational small groups. And um, I have a private practice here in Atlanta. And right now I'm doing all my sessions on Zoom. So that's been an interesting um, experience doing telehealth. I did some of that before, but now it's all of what I do for the time being. Um, And so I'm married for, I've been married 20 years uh, to Dusty and I have three kids, three boys who are 13, 10 and seven now, um, Carlson, Caleb and Zach. And so it's been an adventure and kind of a small group journey just in our <laughs> own home <laughs> and then, yeah. the past five months, um, just a lot of time together. So lots of dynamics come out and I'm sure all of us have experienced that in some way. So that's a little yeah. bit about yeah, and that's why I love this book because I think even though when you, at the time that you wrote it, the pandemic hadn't happened, correct? Like this was, you started writing it before. Right, yes. I feel like just these principles just relate to any small group of people. Which, can you all yeah. hear on the recording? Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Let's Sorry, just, that's okay. I think it's fine. Yeah. Let's see if he stops. Um, but actually, he's not going to stop. Can you pause it? Sorry. Yes. Chris went to get Chick-fil-A. Yeah, so even though you wrote this with the intention of writing to small group leaders in a church setting, I mean, it's there are principles that just really apply to any small group you find yourself in, which for me right now is my family and my neighborhood. Um, and they're, they're just principles that apply to groups of people. So I think it's really going to be helpful today, especially as we're moving into where education's going to look different this year, work's going to look different this year. I mean, the way we're managing our cohort at home and our immediate neighbors or whoever, if we're doing like a pod learning situation, we can really get a lot of uh, knowledge from your principles. So I'm really excited you're here to talk about that and kind of guide us. Yeah, and I think a lot of us, um, or at least our church, and I think a lot of churches are currently still not meeting. Um, and as they start to think about like, how can we do this for a lot, the long haul, like our pastor has been talking about how like this, you know, like these kind of situations can be like snowstorms or they could be blizzards that last a little bit longer or it could be an ice age, you know? And so like we might be going into like an ice age where we're this is going to be kind of our new normal for a while. And um, so it... Um, I'm going to have to pause. Um, yeah, I think there's things that we are always going to do differently. I mean, I think this is going to cause some permanent changes in how we approach things. I mean, I notice myself even now, you know, watching a movie or something. I'm like, oh, they're standing too close together or, oh, they shouldn't be, where are their masks? You know, and it's like, we just are starting to have this response within us that is different than we've ever known. And because we're having to practice these things so long-term, I think it, there's going to be no way for us just to go back to how everything was before this. Yeah. We're going to be impacted by it. I think, you know, as far as mental health, I could definitely see where more and more clients might choose Zoom sessions now that everybody's been sort of, you know, placed in this forced experiment in a way. And, you know, I'm surprised um, for one. I had done some Zoom sessions before all this and some telehealth, but I kind of thought of it as the not quite as good option. Um, Mm -hmm. And now I look at it, I think, as the option that has pros and cons. You know, I mean, I definitely think I will always prefer to sit with somebody and and be present with them physically. But 
Um, it's just much easier to sense a person's emotion and read nonverbal cues and things like that. But, you know, I also can recognize that just from an efficiency and um, like accessibility sort of standpoint, that Zoom offers a lot of advantages. And I've been surprised that there's actually been some really good therapy that's occurred um, in my experience over Zoom and people seem pretty happy with it, at least given these circumstances. Yeah. And I think, you know, you know, speaking of churches, um, I think it's going to be a lot. I mean, if you're in a smaller church that this may not be the case, but if you're in a church that has more than like, you know, a few hundred people um, mm-hmm. and you're getting up into like the hat thousands and more than thousands in churches, it's going to, I think it's going to be a while before um, we're going to be able to meet in those kind of settings again. And so churches are having to like rethink how um, they are the church scattered. That's what our church has been talking about is how we can be the church scattered. And like, it's going to start first in like small groups. Like but in, it, w- when they start slowly, like getting back into doing church again, I mean, we'll still have online sermons, obviously and stuff services, but like in person stuff is going to be happening in small groups. You know, it's going to be happening, you know, just a, a few people in your neighborhood doing, um, you know, church together or like we're, we're a part of the premarital mentoring program at our church. And we're going to, we, our last couple that we mentored, we did over zoom, but the next couple we're doing um, now that we're building a back deck, they're going to, we're going to, that's where we're going to meet with them. So I think we're starting to like figure out how the new normal where we can like interact with people, but it just won't be in like big group settings or inside places. And so I think learning how to... So before, I think the people who were leading small groups or who were in small groups and would read your book would have been people that had been like specifically picked to be in leadership for like mm-hmm. Bible studies and small group. But I think it's, we're going to start to find ourselves, all of us are going to be in some form of leadership and like these small group cohorts. Mm-hmm. And so like how, how do you see that kind of like because your book is leading transformational small groups. And before somebody would look at your book and be like, Oh, well, I'm not a leader of a small group. So I don't need to read mm-hmm. that. But, right. um, but now I think we're all going to find ourselves in settings where we're in leadership. So what mm-hmm. would you tell people, I guess, that are, aren't used to being in this kind of setting? Yeah, that's a great, a great point. I, I think as I wrote the book, uh, a lot of the information is based both on my experience leading small group Bible studies and things like that over the past 20 years, but also um, a solid 13 years of working at the Eating Disorder Center where I worked, where a majority of the treatment occurred in a group setting. And so I led lots of therapy groups and um, experienced a lot of different dynamics there in a therapy group setting. And a lot of the information in the book comes from um, or at least one section of the book kind of comes from the psychotherapist Irvin Yalom, who is kind of known as the father of group psycho- psychotherapy and his 11 factors that create a transformational therapy group. And I think a lot of those factors, as I learned them, about them in my training and as I experienced them in all kinds of group settings, you know, that are relevant for small group Bible studies, but they're also relevant and really all the information in the book is is relevant for any kind of small group gathering, not just a small group Bible study. So that's kind of the context it's written, but I'm glad you brought that up because I think even as we approach informal group gatherings or um, find ourselves in a, any kind of facilitator role of any type of group, it's likely to be a small group right now. Um, or mm-hmm. for the foreseeable future. And yeah, I think it, the way that church happens is really going to have to, you know, change. And 
people are going to have to think outside the box because if you think in terms of COVID risk, church is like one of the worst case scenarios, you know, it's like people singing and breathing and all crowded together in a space. Like that is the yeah. uh, kind of the epitome of what we're not supposed to do right now. So, yeah. you know, uh, thinking outside of that and you mentioned like meeting on your back porch or, you know, um, and I know a lot of groups have happened on Zoom. I participated in like an anti-racist book study that was done on Zoom. Uh, and I found that to be really beneficial and really interactive. And, you know, I think as we all get used to Zoom, we can get a little sick of it sometimes, but we can also kind of appreciate it for what it is. It, it is a way to gather. Yeah. yeah. And it's like trying to just see that nothing's going to be ideal right now. So how can we make the most of what right. we have? And like how much crappier would this have been 20 years ago mm-hmm. when nobody had this technology, you know, like at least we're able to see each other in some way. You know? mm-hmm. Yeah. Great. I will say, um, I had a, a job interview, um, last week mm-hmm. and it was over zoom with four other people. So it was me plus four other people. And I've never been on an inner, I mean, I've had like phone calls, like when I'm interested in her job, but like a serious like job interview I've never done, um, virtually. And, there's plus and minuses, right? Like it, just the, the, the minus being like you said earlier of like, not like you, you, you just don't realize how much you read a room when you're in a room. Like, Emily, I can still see your body language and Rebecca's body language right now, but it's not the same as like when you're in a room, like there's just something when you're in somebody else's presence that you can like sense, like, Mm-hmm. Of how people are like gelling with what you're saying, or maybe you need to m- make a turn, or mm-hmm. so like how how do we um, adjust? I guess because I know you've done some, you've written some articles and you've you've done some of the small group leadership over Zoom. So like how can we uh, make up for where Zoom? And there's a lot of pros, obviously, right. but like how can we make up for some of the ways that Zoom lacks um, in yeah. interaction? Well. Zoom does have some cons for sure. And probably the most annoying thing about Zoom to me is just kind of any technological glitch, you know, that somebody's connection isn't working and you don't know whose it is and you are trying different things. Sometimes for me, being on Wi-Fi works better. Other times being on my cell um, network works better. Sometimes I'm on my phone and that works better. But right now I'm on my computer. Lately, I've found like that works better because Dusty got us a new router to try and help the glitching, but that's definitely one of my least favorite things about Zoom is if a client, for instance, is sharing about something really important to them and suddenly they freeze and I'm saying, you know, and I sound like robotherapist or something as my voice (laughs) getting jumbled in the transmission. I mean, it's, it's terrible, you know, it's like not, it's such a barrier and it's such a stressor and, and a Mm -hmm. feeling being out of control and it's disruptive at times, but, um, you know, so there, there are certainly pros and cons, but the I wrote an article about uh, 10 tips for leading a group on Zoom. And I think what, you know, it, as much as you can inform people about how to use Zoom and how to have as good a connection as possible and to say, okay, what's our backup plan? If one of us freezes, here's what's going to happen. You know, there are some I'm people... Sorry. No one ever thinks to do that. What's that? <laughs> no one ever thinks to do that. That's so smart to just go ahead and say, okay, right. if something happens, here's our plan. Like, yeah, right. so smart. It's, you know, I especially am sensitive to the fact that people are paying for that time. And yeah. I don't, I want them to feel that they're getting 
all of that time. So, you know, I want to be as efficient as possible. And I usually tell them up front, you know, if something is happening with Zoom, um, let's use the phone as a backup. Or I try to communicate um, a lot more verbally over Zoom. Um, Like when I'm in the room, nothing is going to uh, replace someone's physical presence. I totally agree with you about that, that there's a feel that that you have in the dynamic between you and a person when you're present with them and you can sense, I mean, I rely on that a lot, sensing people's stress. Are they feeling rushed as they come in the office and sit down? Do they, um, you know, and even um, as an eating disorder uh, therapist, a lot of who I work with um, are people with eating disorder concerns or eating concerns. You know, I often normally would be weighing that person, um, you know, checking their weight if they're on a particular um, plan where that needs to be done or, you know, just sort of assessing how they're holding their body, even as they walk in the room, how, how confident are they? How, um, comfortable in their body do they seem? That's harder to notice over zoom. And so Mm -hmm. I'm working more verbally to check in with them about things that I would normally be able to just sort of notice. So I think Mm -hmm. all of us sort of have to do that on zoom, like to say, um, you know, from the very beginning, we did that today. Um, Rebecca, where, you know, I was like, can you hear me? Can you hear me? Yes, we can hear each other. Is this okay? You know, like there's a verbal checking in that you, we normally don't do, um, but is important. And I talk in the book about what is called uh, a process comment, which therapists learn about. Um, process is talking about what is happening between you and me in the moment, as opposed to content. You know, when a person tells a story about their life, that's content. And when they tell a tell about their history or tell about something that happened that week. That's all content. Um, process really brings the conversation into the moment to say, to, it talks, it's talk about what are you and I experiencing together right now? Mm-hmm. And I think process is where, and I talk in the, about in the book, where some examples of how Jesus does that with people, gets really in the moment and talks about what's occurring right now you know, like, why are you sleeping, Simon? You know, he's addressing what's going on right then. And that is powerful. And it's a powerful part of therapy. And we're having to kind of do more of that as we're processing from the very start of the session on Zoom. Is this comfortable for you? Can you hear me? Can I hear you? And then you're doing more of that throughout too, as a therapist. And I think all of us could do do this more, like checking in with um, the person about, um, does what I say made sense? Are you resonating with, with what I'm saying right now? How does this feel to you? You know, I'm more likely to say, um, it seems like there's some emotion coming up for you. Can you tell me about that? Whereas in person, I'm more likely to be able to see the very subtle, um, tears in someone, uh, someone's eyes. I can sort of tell that over zoom, but not quite as well, you know, so I have to do more verbal checking in it seems like you might be sad right now. Like what, what are you feeling about what we're talking about? And that's all process because it's about what's happening. Yeah. In the moment. That makes sense. Yeah. Um, so checking in with people more of like, if you're, you know, leading a small group over zoom or virtually in some way. Um, yeah. Checking in with people more about how they're doing right now versus mm-hmm. just like here, like hearing people's story, which is important too, but like just, yeah, kind of having those check-ins. That's really good. Yeah. Um, yeah. Interesting. 
And so probably something we should do with our own families too. Speaking right. of that, yeah. right. like, so how do we transition that from a formal group setting to something like a family? Mm-hmm. Or if you don't, if you live with a roommate or, you know, a spouse or like right. whatever, like just whoever you're living with or in close contact with, like how can we translate right. some of those things to that? Well, I think those kind of process comments are important in relationships in general. You know, you don't have to do it constantly, but even within your own family, you know, COVID is requiring us all to go through a lot of transitions and a lot of new experiences, a lot of unfamiliar experiences. We're all in this giant new experiment together because we have to be, right? I mean, we have this huge common risk that we're all facing. And the upside of that of that is that we can be drawn together in that type of scenario. But as we've all experienced, you know, people get different opinions about what is the best strategy to deal with it. And then we have conflict too. So part of it is joining together, checking in with one another, and also navigating the conflict. And that can happen even within your own family. So, you know, maybe checking in at the dinner table um, when you're all sitting down together, hopefully at least periodically, um, trying to still keep those like family meals in place, or even if you're living with roommates or anybody else, having a time where you're regularly sitting down and just saying, how are we all doing? You know, how is everybody feeling? This is a weird time. How, you know, how is it for you boys not to see your friends? You know, I might be asking my kids, um, not to see them at least as much or in the same way, you know, maybe you're seeing them on FaceTime. How are you feeling? You know, people can really get to feeling isolated and, um, you know, that goes hand in hand with a lot of mental health problems. So, uh, you know, just checking in about that and then navigating conflict is a big part of what I write about in the book too. You know, how do you deal with different problem dynamics in a group? Um, and those problem dynamics, if your house is anything like mine, um, occur on the regular, (laughs) probably on a daily basis, you know, like there are problem dynamics and I contribute to them just as much as anyone else in the house, but we have to talk about those things. We can't just shut down or blow up or do the ineffective behaviors that cause more stress. Um, all of us fall into those patterns sometimes, but you know, if we can, effectively learn how to manage conflict and talk about things that we're noticing, we can head off some of that before it blows up. And I think like even just labeling it as what it is, is really helpful, especially like, I mean, that might be more common, like in a therapy setting, but like in real life, I don't think all the time to be like, I sense we're having a conflict and you don't just say it that way, but just sometimes calling it what it is can be really helpful because a lot of times, especially now, like I feel like everybody is kind of on thin ice and we're all sort of like our emotions are bubbling like right under the surface and like, Mm -hmm. you know, Chris and I are so snippy at each other and it's just because we're so stressed and it's like, I think sometimes just saying like, Hey, I noticed that you're feeling this way. It's like, we may not even realize what we're dealing with until somebody says it and then you're like, Oh, you're right. Like, okay. And Mm -hmm. I think that can be really helpful too. Right. Yeah. So just like checking in and verbally acknowledging everyone's, feelings and asking about people's feelings so that that can get brought out into the open. Because what happens if we don't talk about our feelings to some degree? Um, I know some people like doing that more than others, but (laughs) um, speaking, referencing previous discussions we've had about (laughs) this, we all know our different dynamics around that. But 
you know, some people could process their feelings literally all day and it energizes them and it's wonderful. Others do not enjoy talking about emotion that much, but we've got to do some of that uh, Mm -hmm. just for our own kind of emotional awareness and checking in with those around us to maintain the relationship. Because what happens if we don't do that is that we act out emotion. It all, it happens with all of us. If we're not talking about it, it doesn't go away. It gets acted out in, in various yeah. ways. And that is usually where things become problematic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I know that, you know, in our small group that we do through church when we were doing Zoom meetings before the summer, um, I even knew with me that if I didn't, we, we tried to like check in with everybody before we actually started with like um, studying the sermon for the week and um, taking prayer requests, just like a mini check-in in the beginning. And like, that's totally as everybody that listens to this podcast knows that is not my, um, mm-hmm. I would rather just skip that part. But um, for like my own personal um, story. Um, if I didn't do that, I was coming in with those emotions, whether I talked about them or not. And that affected my ability to either be able to lead or participate in the discussion of the sermon or in prayer request or praying for, you know, as a leader or praying for the people of my group, because I was like, that was like a distraction almost. Like it was kind of like the elephant in the room, you know? And, and so if everybody could like kind of just have spend a few minutes, just like processing for a second, then mm-hmm. we can actually we could actually get in um, deep into the other stuff, and not that I'm saying that that's like a secondary that we have to get it away out of the way, but it, it's gonna be really difficult to be able to do the rest of the stuff that you want to do in small group mm-hmm. if you don't process. Yeah. Right, well, so, really the lens you see it all through, so you can't really talk about a scripture if you're coming in like mm-hmm. angry or because it's like that's what you're gonna see. It's like a mirror that's gonna reflect what you're feeling. You're like projecting, so it's helpful to yeah, just yeah. It's almost like when when you have have people over to your house for a small group, you might clear the clutter physically before people come over and kind of clean the space and clear the space. I mean, that's really what we need to do emotionally when we come into a Zoom session is like allow ourselves to clear the emotional clutter um, by just, you know, doing a check in like that, I think is a great idea. Like what what is everybody dealing with this week and mm-hmm. um, just briefly kind of checking in so that you can clear that emotional clutter and then um, focus more deeply on your purpose for being together. And emotion is intertwined and all that, but you know, can also, it can also be a relief. You don't have to solve emotion as though it were a problem, but just get it out. You know, getting it out is, is helpful in terms of just a little bit of a release. Yeah. No, I think that's a good word too for, for people who are leading groups like this, because I think my tendency is like, as we go around, like the screen, if you will, like the Brady Bunch screen, um, yes. go to each person and be like, so how's it going? You know, and then they get a minute to process. I want to like solve each person's problem before I go to the next person, mm-hmm. you know, and like, that's not the point of that time. Mm-hmm. Um, so like, that's just a good word for anybody who's listening, who's leading one of those kind of um, sessions to like, just like say, okay, you know, and then move on to the next person, but just allow it to kind of like be there. Um, So what is your recommendation? Because like you said, we said earlier, some people can process their feelings for a really long time. And then some people don't want to talk about it at all. Like, how do you like, maintain like, um, the group dynamics in a way that's, um, meeting everybody's needs, mm-hmm. but at the same time, allowing people to process. Does that make, does that question like, I, I mean, sense. Yeah, yeah, I think what you're talking about is boundaries, you know, yeah. 
And that's also what I write about in the book and something that's very important in a group setting. You know, you can set boundaries and set a tone as a leader or facilitator from the very beginning by saying, um, for instance, one example I give in the book is, you know, you could have everyone sort of go around in a spiritually focused small group and say, you know, the first time we meet, maybe you send out an email and say, the first time we meet, we're going to briefly check in and uh, do a two-minute faith journey story or a five-minute faith journey story. Um, just be prepared to tell a little bit about what you have experienced in your faith, you know? So that is setting a boundary. You're, you're communicating a time yeah. frame. Now, inevitably, there will be people who come to that meeting and two minutes sounds like an eternity. They will stress out about what to say, you know, and how to, how to perfectly bullet point that down into the main points of their life. It doesn't have to be stressful. So you might be able to head that off with, you know, this is as short or long as you um, need it to be, except that we're going to try to keep it under five minutes per person or something, you know, because there are those people that can, um, you know, out of nervousness or just because they're more, of an extrovert, more of a verbal processor, you know, might tend to go longer on that story. And so you do have to be comfortable as a group leader setting some boundaries, knowing that by doing so, you're not being um, unkind. You know, you're actually protecting the group dynamic and you're mm -hmm. setting an expectation that, you know, if we're get veering off topic too far, you know, we both want to be flexible as leaders, I think, and also keep some boundaries in place. So I would, you know, it kind of depends what the person's talking about. Um, there are times, I think, for, for every group to sort of respect that someone needs to have a little extra time to talk through something that's really weighing on them. Uh, but you, part of this goes back to the purpose of the group, which hopefully you've established from the beginning. You know, if the purpose is to support each other on our faith journey and talk through the issues going on in our life, it's best if that's kind of brought up at the beginning as this is part of the focus of the group. If the focus of the group, on the other hand, you know, I've been in a lot of different kinds of small group, Bible study, book study type groups, and they function very differently sometimes. There are others that are very structured. And it's not a right or a wrong, but it's great to set an expectation in the beginning as the leader. Like we will do prayer requests at the beginning for about 10 minutes, and then we're gonna you know, delve into the study for the rest of the time. Might be one way that you would, would do that. And then it's up to you as the leader to hold to that boundary. Mm -hmm. you know, so let's say someone is go going long and you are realizing, okay, we've gone beyond five minutes. Um, it, it is okay to sensitively um, and, and kindly kind of say, well, it sounds like, you know, I'd probably try to reiterate or summarize what the person has said to validate what they've said. But it is okay to do a little bit of an interruption if they're going, going a little longer to say, well, it sounds like you are feeling this way, or this has been some main points of your faith journey. Thank you for um, sharing more about that. I wonder if anyone else has thoughts about that, you know, and then that sort of naturally shifts it to someone else speaking. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I think we've all maybe been in a small group situation where, you know, you have like the one or two people who talk the whole time. Mm -hmm. And it's almost like, I think a lot of times the 
the good thing the gift a leader can give to a group is you can coach those people because nobody wants to take up all the air in the room, but some people just, you know, mm-hmm. a personality thing where they're just like, everything I'm going through is really hard for me. And like, if you let them, you give them an inch, they'll take a mile, but it, it can be helpful in coaching and just a maturity thing too. Of like, it, it's mm-hmm. almost like when you're a group leader, you're helping people kind of become more self-aware too. Cause yes. people don't always realize that and they're not, tr- and then, yeah. Right. Cause I've definitely, I'm sure y'all have too. You've been in groups where it's like, there's those couple people who every week it's a crisis and you're just like, mm, right. Oh, like, that, that is specifically one of the dynamics that can be a real problem for a group. If there's a constant crisis kind of, um, yeah. brought up every week by the same group member. So one of the ways that I would deal with that, um, is to maybe speak to that person one-on-one if I start to notice a pattern um, outside of the group time and to just say, hey, are you needing some extra support? I've noticed you've been really stressed out a couple weeks in a row. You know, let me help you get connected to some resources. And, you know, mm-hmm. one of the important things as a group leader to know is that you don't have to know everything or provide every need yeah. through that group. You know, sometimes yeah. providing the meat providing the need and providing the support means pointing somewhere else, someone elsewhere for that support. And then they may, you may experience that person getting some support or elsewhere and coming back to the group, feeling a little more relaxed about, um, what, what they bring up there because they have another outlet for that. Yeah. Yeah. I may or may not have pointed people in my group to Angela. Yeah. <laughs> you may or may not have. And um, I, may or may not have. I would thank you had you done that. Um, in fact, I think I did. <laughs> but yes, that's there are plenty of therapists out there and like, you know, getting people connected to resources. I sent you guys actually a, a link, a couple of links, um, if you want to put them in the show notes about yeah. like um, mental health resources. And we can talk more about that next time. But, you know, I think that's helpful for everyone to have on hand to know you're not in it alone as a leader. Um, And the other thing I would say about that is that it is okay to sort of respect that people have different styles. You know, there, there are people who, who are just more introverted and I actually tend to be that way. If I'm not the leader of a group, I tend to be more of an observer and a listener and I'm going to comment if I have something to say, but usually I'm not, one of the primary talkers, I I guess it kind of depends on the group, but, uh, you know, I still walk away from that group a lot of times benefiting from what the person who has talked a lot has said, or I've processed things internally and walked away with valuable things. So it's not the only reflection of whether someone's gotten something out of the group, how much time they have spent talking, you know, and neither should it really be the goal, I think, of the leader to make sure everybody has the exact amount of time that to talk because that may not be necessary, you know? Yeah, that brings me, so like that's kind of seen as like the opposite problem. So like you have people who talk a lot, but then I'm like you, like when I'm in a group, I, I'm very much an observer and like if I have something to say, I say it, but like I'm not like talking the whole time. And I've been in groups too, where then it's like, you can tell they're constantly trying to like get you to talk and it right. happens. How do you think you manage that as a leader and as a participant? Mm-hmm. As a leader, I think you respect people's differing styles, but notice people's differing styles. Because what mm-hmm. I would be concerned about as a leader is if someone is typically quiet, um, and then, well, more so if somebody is typically a talker, and then they're really quiet one week. 
you know, that's a change. So I might want to check in either during the group, that would be an example of a process comment, like, you know, hey, I know you had a lot to say about this last week, or I don't know what I would say exactly. It kind of depends on the context, but, you know, inviting that person to participate. And if they're reluctant, that to me would be sort of a, a red flag to, to follow up with that person and just make sure they're doing okay. Or, you know, it may not be anything. Maybe people just feel like talking one week and not the next, but, you know, I would try to notice patterns like that. Um, as feel as far as like the leader, just sort of knowing people's typical style and noticing differences. Yeah. And noticing absences too is important because that can communicate some, sometimes people are passive aggressive and they, they're not going to say, Hey, I want to get a different thing out of this group. They're going to just not come. Not show up. Yeah. 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 And that happened, that can happen a lot. So if somebody's absent a couple times in a row, especially, you know, I would definitely kind of you know, recommend checking in with that person as the leader and just saying, you know, you don't have to like shame them for, you know, they could have legitimate reasons why they couldn't be there. But, you know, just to check in and say, hey, you know, I, I noticed you were gone. Like it can be validating to someone that you did notice there, they were gone um, mm-hmm. and you care, you know. And so I noticed you were gone, um, you know, is there anything, anything you want to talk about? Are, are things going okay for you? You know, if they say, yeah, I'm fine, you know, then I'd leave it at that. Um, If they didn't, and that, you know, that might be an opportunity to kind of help them get with more of what they need. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I've I've noticed like two, two types of introvert. I obviously am not an introvert, but I've noticed two types of introverts in groups that I've led. There's the ones that just generally are observers and don't want to talk. They just want to observe, but they're getting a ton out of it. And mm-hmm. then there are those that are introverted and do have things to say, but don't know how to say it or don't know how to like angle their way into the conversation because that's just not their style. Um, so they're probably not going to share unless asked. And so as a leader, it's like kind of trying to like, right. you know, weigh those things out. So like, I never want to be that type of leader that like goes around and be like, okay, everybody has to have to, right. has to have any answer to this question. I don't want, nobody wants to be in a group like that. But <laughs> like, but also at the end, you know, if you notice that someone hasn't, hasn't been talking, may just like, as you're wrapping up and like, you know, as you know, looking at them and ask them if there's anything they want to share, um, mm-hmm. not like a specific pointed question that would, um, stress them out that they don't have an answer to, but like, you know, just, just checking in and giving a moment to like, allow them to have a minute to say something, because I think sometimes people don't want to talk because they just aren't talkers. And then some people don't want to talk because they just don't know how to interrupt us extroverts. If you're aware that that person probably does have things to say, you know, especially in that case as a leader, I think I would seek out to say, hey, you know, Rebecca, what, do you, what did you think about that chapter? Or, you know, I might ask more of a pointed question. And like you said, it's not about having to make sure you do that with every person every time or something, but just if you're aware of that dynamic, then maybe tuning in to be a little more directive in asking for that person's opinion, but in a way that you're not putting them on the spot, but you're just inviting them. Like you said, would you, do you have any perspective on that? You know, given your experience working in ministry or given, you know, Mm -hmm. whatever the topic happens to be. And part of that is relationship building, right? Like building kind of a relationship with people outside of the group too, as a leader, you know, I, I can think of in our, my current small group setting, like I, I can see people of all different types, but I didn't know that the first night we got together, 
Like mm-hmm. it took, you know, it took time together too. So I think it's like also a willingness to like put some time into it um, and know that it takes a little bit to kind of get right. it figured out in a group and, and get the dyna- dynamics worked out. It's always awkward at first, no matter what. So it's, it definitely can be. And it's, it's a little bit nerve wracking for anyone to come into a new group, even if you've led a lot of groups or been in a lot of groups, any new experience has new people in it, new dynamics. It's going to probably involve some degree of anxiety just because it's new. You know, yeah. that's what we're experiencing all the time with COVID. Everything's new. It's, it's different. Yeah. So there's an element of anxiety with that. But there's a chart in my book that has like stages of a group. And th- those mm-hmm. come from a, a, a theory about group therapy, but I think they apply. And what I did in that chart is I talked about each stage, there's like five stages of group development and what typically happens in each stage, like the tasks of that stage. And then specifically for like a small group, how it would apply to a small group and especially from the leader's perspective, like what you would focus on um, in that stage. So like you're saying, there's kind of this time in the beginning of a group where you're getting to know people, you're setting setting some boundaries and expectations and what are the norms of the group going to be? Like how, how much guidance are you going to provide as a leader? You know, there's people who have more of a teaching style when they lead. And then there's others who ask more questions and have try to draw out um, the group members to do more of the talking. And usually in my experience, I feel like it's a more powerful group if you can engage as many people as possible and Mm -hmm. ask questions. And that's why also I think it's not up to us as a group leader to have to have had all this theology training or, you know, Mm -hmm. to know all these answers or be worried that we're not going to know what to say if somebody says, well, why do bad things happen to good people? Well, (laughs) we all have that question, you know, like, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. That's a terrible question. Like it's it's a (laughs) terrible one to sit with for all of us. Right. And we all have some of the same questions that we're going to continue asking the rest of our lives. So it's more about making space for those hard questions and sitting with them together. And there's some examples in the book of how, how do you respond when you don't know how to respond? Um, what do you say? Yeah, yeah. What, what do you see as the, the job of a leader or like the, the role? Like what are, what are you tasked with if you're leading a group? Mm-hmm. Well, I think that depends some on what group what the group is and what the goals of the group are, that's going to look a little bit different group to group. But in general, if I'm leading a group, a small group, I would want one of my primary goals to be to create a space where transformation can occur. Mm -hmm. Uh, So create space for every person to have a voice, to grow as a person, to ask questions that are hard questions I would want to have an environment of safety and lots of permission to feel what you feel and ask what you want to ask and say what you want to say and an environment of respect for one another in the group so that even if there are disagreements, which there are bound to be at some point, if you have a a group that's alive and working well, conflict is a part of that. And it happens in what they call the storming stage of a group. Like they're going to challenge maybe some of the boundaries that were set by the leader or 
challenge one another's viewpoints. And that's, that's what my family's going like through, the storming <laughs> age. We're all storming, yes. Forever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's it, it's funny because I'm I'm definitely a person who likes to hear myself talk. And I would like to think that like me just talking to <laughs> me, just talking to a group is going to cause transformation to occur. Like if I really like just sit in my ego, but I mean, and it might oh, well, not in a small group setting. Typically well, you like, have a lot of wisdom that can be part of it, but you know, yeah, but that's not going to be a way in a way, you know? Yeah. But I see much more in my experience and leading small groups. I see much more transformation occurring when everybody contributes their mm-hmm. thoughts and their ideas and their, their, um, solutions to problems. And like when everybody collectively in the group shares more transformation takes place than if just like one person's talking, that doesn't mean transformation can't take place in a setting where you're like a Bible study leader or you're teaching, but like in a small group setting, for the most part, if everybody collaborates, Mm -hmm. like more transformation happens than just one person talking even though I would like to think that just me talking would cause transformation. <laughs> well, and like I said, it might because you just never know. But a, a really helpful metaphor that I think um, this psychotherapist, Irvin Yalom, who I mentioned earlier, he talks about some people approach a small group or a therapy group uh, as they're like they're going to a movie, like they're attending something yes. that they want to be entertained by or you know, they're going to sit back and kind of take it in, in more of a passive state. But he said, where transformation occurs best is when we approach a group like we are the movie. You know, we're not attending and watching a movie. We are, we are the movie. We are a living system that's alive and interactive. And mm-hmm. we are the plot and the resolution and the, you know, conflicts that occur. And, and the people of the group are the movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that the most transformation I've got, even as a leader of a group, is when I've realized that it's it's not me leading the group and me me giving and not getting, but it's when when we like I walk into the group on kind of even though I'm the facilitator, like I'm thinking I, I led an Enneagram small group and like I came in as like the expert in quotation marks. But like, I still learned a ton about the Enneagram, even though I was the leader of that group, because we treated it more like a small group where everybody shared and every talk, everybody talked about what they learned and everybody collaborated. Well, then all of us benefited from that versus if I was just the person was like, here, here's, this is, you know, about the Enneagram for 12 weeks, you know, and there's a time and a place for that too. There's a time and a place to take a class and somebody lectures and, sure. you know, but like true transformation takes place when we like all even and the leaders like buy into that we have, we have stuff to learn too. Oh, definitely. I think that's really important to approach it with humility. And I, I can say as a therapist, whether it's been a group environment or an individual session, I learn a ton from, from the people that I work with. And yeah. I hope they're learning things from me too, but they, um, I learn all the time new things about the ways that people interact and experience life and experience mm-hmm. their, their time with me even. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's always a learning process that's continuing um, on an ongoing basis. Yeah. I think leadership a lot of times is about hospitality too. Like mm-hmm. I just, like all the things you're saying kind of go back. I mean, maybe because I worked in restaurants for a million years, but like, it just reminds me of like, you just want to set the table. Like you want to create a warm and welcoming environment for people to, cause that's like a lot of times we, I mean, I think we always do our own work, right? Like, 
Mm. The job of a therapist or a small group leader is never to, to make you change. Like your work comes from inside yourself, but you need to have the appropriate environment to do that in. You know, mm-hmm. I just think mm-hmm. like when I think of leadership, I'm just, that's always what I go back to is like how, and like even leading my family or anything like that. It's like, how am I creating an environment for them to learn their own stuff? Because things are so much more valuable if you've kind of, mm-hmm. you and God worked it out than if somebody, you know, explained it to you and you're like, oh, okay, great. Like, it's like, there's more value when you've done it yourself, you know? Yeah, for sure. And I think hospitality, when you think of something like Zoom, just happens in a little bit different way too. Like, if, I don't know if y'all have had the experience on Zoom where, you know, maybe somebody's not on mute or, you know, there's like some kind of feedback coming from their phone and it's like this distracting sound. So if you're the leader, you know, you might say, okay, I'm going to put everyone on mute. And if you have a question like or a comment, just you know, unmute yourself or whatever. And you, you can manage that in different ways that are unique to Zoom, but it's still kind of a way of, of, because when I think of hospitality, I think of like someone being in my home and extending, you know, offering food and drinks or, you know, certain atmosphere. And so that can happen digitally too, but it's like different. Or you might go out of your way as the leader to say, um, you know, hey, I'm kind of distracted by something that's going on in your background there. Um, You know, could you shut that door or, you know, I haven't really had that happen with a therapy session, but I have inquired about things, um, you know, maybe like a door opens and I'm not clear because you don't know, is someone else in that room? Like you really don't know that in a therapy session. I mean, most people would choose not to have someone else present, but, you know, if I see a door move or something, they'll say, oh, that's my dog or whatever, you know, Um, but it's important to verbally kind of do that. Yeah. I think that the, as a leader, the muting everybody um, thing is, and and you tell everybody beforehand, you don't just mute them without telling them. But I think that just like puts everybody kind of on the same level playing field because people can push the space bar and unmute themselves when they want to talk or they can raise their hands or there's lots of things you can do in Zoom. We don't need to go through all the technical capabilities of Zoom. But I think like starting everybody off like the same, like, you know, where everybody's muted um, is is a, a really good way to like give everybody like mm-hmm. a, a, on the set. You're not, you're just not muting certain people that are making sound and other people that aren't. If you just start off with muting everybody and then people unmute themselves as they want to talk, I think that um, definitely provides a more um, conducive environment. What are some other, I'm trying to think of other ideas that you can have provide good hospitality over virtual small group meetings. Backgrounds matter. I'm just going to say. You think it. backgrounds? <laughs> yes. I feel like- Really distracted, or so my unmade bed back here is distracting you. <laughs> well, I can't tell that it's unmade, but like you know what I'm talking about. Like when somebody's either like it's like really messy, or like there's just a bunch of like I don't know. I get really distracted by backgrounds because it's like I'm staring. Like you know, I mean, it's like I'm looking at a little square of you. Like I want to like Angela's background. Your background's good too. Like I think we all. Well, my background actually is probably the most distracting because there's a bunch of stuff. But like I just I feel like I that's something I get really distracted by. Right. Or if there's movement in the background or like, um, so I think it helps to like maybe not be outside where there's like a lot of like stuff happening. Maybe if you're just in like a mm-hmm. still place was, is helpful mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you think, Angela? Um, yeah, I think that's a great opportunity for like the process comments that I was talking about. If you, for any reason, feel distracted by something in someone's environment, 
you know, just finding a way, like I, I did that when I was teaching the Zoom Sunday school class last week that, you know, suddenly that in the middle of the class, there was some sort of sound going on that really was distracting to me. So I just made a comment about it. Like, is anyone else hearing that sound? Is that, you know, anyone know where that's coming from? And it was quickly taken care of, but it could be a real hindrance, you know, whether it's something visual or audio, you know, in that setting, if there's any sort of distraction, I think it's important to bring it up because chances are, especially in a group, if you're experiencing that, someone else probably is too. So trusting yourself is an important quality of a a group leader that if, you know, and when you're in person in a small group, if you're sensing that someone's a little shut down or sad or something's off with someone, that you're probably right. And there's probably others that are experiencing them that way. um, And it's worth checking in with that person in a sensitive way. Yeah. And also the hospitality end of doing um, Zoom small groups. And I also think about like distractions, like other distractions, not just sound and but like it's, you know, when you're at somebody's home and you're either leading a small group or participating in a small group, you're probably also not working on your phone and doing other things or walking around your house or doing dishes or whatever because you're at somebody's house. Like you're dedicated to that. But like, I think we, we think, oh, well, I'm on a Zoom. Nobody can really see what I'm doing. So mm-hmm. I can do a bunch of other things while I'm in a Zoom call. And like sometimes, you know, in a work meeting or something, that's legitimate. But if you're in, <laughs> but if you're in like a small group kind of setting where you're like trying to experience transformation, and really like be present with people, like just reminding yourself that just because you're on a Zoom call and not in somebody's home, mm-hmm. it's still like hospitable and respecting, respectable to like mm-hmm. keep your distractions to a minute and like c- continue your commitment to the small group mm-hmm. um, like you would if they were in your home or you were in somebody else's home. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think so. Well, so. what other stuff about small groups? Well, I I think we focused um, a lot on the first part of the group, which is doing what works in groups and the stages and how to create the transformational environment. Um, and the second part of the book is eight strategies for leading well. So I'll just mm-hmm. mention each of those. And That'd be great. We can, yeah. you know, if you want to talk further about them, some of them we've probably already touched on. But this, so the eight strategies are to practice faith. So like a foundational, having a you know, if it's a small group that's spiritually focused, having some sort of spiritual practice that you're doing um, Mm -hmm. as a leader um, to kind of practice what you preach to an extent. Um, Focus is the second one. So that's sort of like determining, you know, what's the focus of the group. Stretch, but not too far is about boundaries. Mm -hmm. Uh, Listen well. Um, this is something that just sounds like an easy thing, but it's very hard actually to actively listen well. And it's something all of us, I think, could stand to practice in every interaction. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, me, me included. I'm, a, I'm not a good of, listener. <laughs> our temptation to think about what we're going to say next or think about what we need. And, yeah. you know, it's so important to slow down our brains and really tune in. It goes a long way to make other people feel valued. Um, so listen, well, know and share yourself, um, you know, it's just sort of about having self-awareness as a leader, um, and sharing openly, you know, and like I say in the book, you don't have to, if you're doing introductions or something, it's not like you need to delve into your 
deepest, you know, uh, areas of struggle or share an undisclosed like family secret or something, you know, but you, <laughs> but share openly and, and make it yeah. clear that you're not perfect. Because I think one of the, yes. the problem dynamics of a group is when the leader is idealized and everybody yeah. in the group can start wanting to be like the leader or, you know, thinking the leader is flawless. And that is just not true. And as a leader, you're already kind of given some expert um, status usually by the members of the group. So it's important for a leader to convey that they are not perfect and to share their own struggles to create safety. And to like go first, right? Yeah. I think setting a tone can be great as the leader about how much to share. Yeah. Yeah. And then deal with problems is another one. So that kind of gets to some of those problem dynamics we were talking about. Make space is the seventh one. So that has to do with just making sure that everyone feels they, their space in the group to express themselves and be heard, um, no matter yeah. what perspective they're coming from. And then the last one is end well. And, you know, our, the groups that we take part in don't have to be ongoing, long-term, forever groups to be good groups, you know? Mm-hmm. And if you set an expectation around that from the beginning, like this group is going to meet for eight weeks and we're going to discuss X, you know? Mm-hmm. That is a great way to create some really clear structure around a group. It's not that a group can't be a good group if it's open-ended, but if a group is open-ended, I think it is wise as the leader every so often maybe the beginning of each new season or something to, to just kind of check in with the group. How's everybody feeling about the group? Who feels like it, they're wanting to continue in the group? Like give people an out. If, they, mm-hmm. if they're not wanting to continue, it, I would not want for people in any group that I lead to feel like obligated to um, have to continue the group, right? So uh, I yeah. think that would create resentment or create an unhealthy dynamic. So I would want to be processing that as we go. You know, again, you don't have to overdo it, but at least, you know, every now and then to say, how's everybody feeling about continuing another stress of time? And to give them plenty of permission that if they aren't feeling like there is time in their week for it at this point, um, that you would understand and that that it's okay to make the decision not to continue Mm -hmm. and well. So that's it. Yeah. I think a lot of this has to do with like setting expectations at the beginning, just like any relationship, you know, this is like Rebecca was saying, like, we're all kind of finding ourselves in our own little small groups in our neighborhood or our quarantines or our families or whatever, like, or learning pods. Like, I think that that is just across, that's just like good, good, like wisdom across the board of setting expectations of the, at the beginning that I'd like that just like heads off a lot of problems. Um, Cause sometimes we're just like, yeah, let's do it. And you just go, you know, and like everybody has like the momentum and like, they're like, yeah, nobody's going to to like start yeah. whatever type of group it is. But like at the beginning, like laying down ground rules and like mm-hmm. talking about how some things will last and what are the goal of the group and all of that kind of stuff um, yeah. prevents a lot of these problems. I think at the beginning. So one thing I would add to that is just like for the type A personalities out there, no matter how many tones you set and expectations you set, there will be (laughs) conflict in the group. Oh, for sure. You know, so you can't head off all of that. Like it's wise to set the structure, but just understand that groups involve human beings. And so that itself means that we are going to have to struggle through something 
together as a group and it's okay. Yeah. It's, it's not a problem to have conflict. It's actually more of a problem for a group not to have any conflict. I think yeah. that yeah. The, the views in the group become too um, like potentially polarized or, or um, there's like one right way and then everything else is wrong. And mm-hmm. it, it, that can be a negative dynamic. So yeah. Yeah, for sure. That's a good point. Well, this yeah. is really helpful. Thank you so much, Angela. And speaking of small groups, Rebecca, we have a little something, something going on, don't we, over on Patreon? We do. I think we're going to do a woven small group, aren't we? We sure are. So don't worry if this whole conversation made you cringy. That does not mean that you're going to have to Zoom with a bunch of strangers. What it does mean is that Rebecca and I are going to two bonus episodes a month and it's going to be in the format of a small group. So we're going to talk about um, scriptures and mostly from the Old Testament because we're feeling very Old Testament vibes with this year that the locusts have eaten. And so we're going to be going through Exodus at first. Um, so if you just kind of miss that structure, if that's something that your church like either isn't offering or that you don't really have time to like participate for, but you just like to listen in on um, and you want some time to study scripture and to just kind of like, you know, who, who works old, talking about the Old Testament into their life on like a Wednesday, but like that's what we're going to do. So if that sounds fun to you, um, we will be doing that over on Patreon. We'll have the link for that in the show notes. And yep. yeah, and I did forget one thing, Angela, we are asking all of our guests now a very yep. fun question. Okay. <laughs> what would your last meal on earth be? Oh, pizza. Pizza? What kind? Like, My favorite. Um, I like sausage and mushroom. So that's probably what I, that's probably what I do. Well, I like sausage and mushroom too. Do you like sliced sausage or crumbled sausage? Uh, crumbled. Me too. Any particular place? Uh, I don't know. Maybe mellow mushroom. I love mellow mushroom. That is where I do. It also involve a craft beer probably. And then I'd be happy. Yeah. That That sounds sounds delicious. Now I want pizza. Awesome. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Thanks, Angela. Thank you, Angela. So till next week, we are on Instagram at Woven and Him. We are on Facebook and Patreon forward slash Woven and Him. You can also email us fullywoven at gmail.com. And I'm Rebecca Pete, like the coffee brand. And you can find me at RebeccaPete.com where you can also find all my social handles. Yep. And uh, I don't want to be found. So just find me on the Facebook for our uh, podcast and the Instagram, but not my personal. Bye. Bye.